Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. The Super Bowl has become a favorite American holiday over the years. And let's face it, most people watch the big game for the commercials. Did you know that messages are being thrown at us through the media? The question is, are these messages that are being thrown at us in line with what God has for us? Learn the truth behind these media messages in this message. And note, for a more full experience, watch this message on our YouTube channel at Kenosha City Church. In the years past, we've, we've shown uh, interviews from NFL football players. We have one today uh, to share with you, but we've pivoted a little bit, and we're going to share what we call 30-second theology. We are inundated with messaging every single day of our life, and they are called commercials. They are called uh, text messages. They are called a bunch of different things, but commercials specifically, they reach us all throughout the day, and they literally are a parable, all right? And so that's what we're going to use them today. We're going to use them to illustrate, uh, to demonstrate uh, what is being said to us and what does God's word have to say about what's being said to us. And so we're going to use these commercials that you're going to see today in the Super Bowl uh, today. We're going to use them as parables. Now, let's face it. How many of you, when you watch the game, you watch it just for the commercials, all right? Yeah? How many of you are just for the food, okay? How many are actually for the football game? You got somebody, and some of you are like, I already have people come up to me and say, Andy, the Chiefs aren't in it today. Well, listen, I don't have a Bengals jersey. I'm not going to buy one, but they beat the Chiefs, so here you go, all right? And so, anyway, and, and they're, they're in the Super Bowl in my heart, all right? So, uh, anyway, I digress. Whether this is just an any regular, regular day, it's not a regular day in society. People are, like, buying up food, all this stuff. You're probably going to eat some extra food today whether you watch the game or not, and you're going to hear about or at least see a couple of these commercials, and they really are, uh, saying something to us. You know, Jesus, he taught, uh, he taught in parables. Uh, in fact, over 50 times we have recorded uh, in the Gospels that Jesus used a story, a parable, to demonstrate a dynamic truth. He would often take stories that would be relevant and understandable for the people of the day. He often used agrarian uh, illustrations, uh, farming illustrations, to demonstrate deep spiritual truths for the hearers to unpack, for them to incorporate in their everyday life. A few examples of the parables of Jesus we see in Matthew 13, 23. It's called the parable of the soils. It says this, but the one who's sown on the good ground, this one who hears and understands the word, who does produce fruit and yield some 100, some 60, some 30 times what was sown. In this parable of the sower, as it's been called, Jesus uses the imagery of various kinds of soil to contrast different heart responses to the gospel. Another parable, the parable of the missing sheep. He leaves the 99 for the one. I tell you in the same way, Luke chapter 15, verse 7, I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. By the way, this verse has been misused so much during the pandemic. I'm tired of it, all right? This, is, this verse is actually about salvation, all right? This verse is that we, in fact... As Jesus was speaking to the crowd, guess who didn't like what he had to say? The Pharisees. The Pharisees were like, uh, they were grumbling about the low, uh, the low quality of people that Jesus was hanging out with. He was like, why is Jesus hanging out with these sinners? And Jesus used this parable to instruct how important it was for him and for us subsequently with the message of Jesus to reach people who don't have Jesus. All right? And so, again, Jesus used a number of parables to demonstrate truth, and some people would respond, some people would be like, eh, some people would be like, I didn't get it, and some people would get angry. 
You know, today, pastors, we use illustrations each and every week. And if you've been here at Kenosha City Church, and by the way, hello to all our guests here today, all right? And we are so happy that you're here. I'm happy that you're here today. Uh, it's just so fun to be part of a growing community here at uh, Kenosha City Church. But I want to tell you, if you've been here more than a couple weeks, you know that I like to tell a lot of stories, right? And they're all true, and I, you won't be in them unless I ask you permission. So don't, don't be like, oh, no, I don't want to be in one of your stories. Stay away from me, right? Um, but... As pastors, we take whether somebody else's story, our own story, or a story of maybe a, something in the news or something to illustrate, to demonstrate, to hook you into something we're going to unpack in Scripture. So it's nothing new. Jesus did it. Pastors do it each and every week. But you know who else does it? The world. The world does it. The world is throwing messages at you each and every day to hook you into something. In fact, in any given day, we are interrupted 60 times. And I heard someone say it takes 20 minutes to, uh, to get over an interruption. And I'm like, that math doesn't work out. That means we're never focused. Maybe some of us are never focused, right? Because we're interrupted a lot, whether it be through push notifications. Sorry, we send one on Sunday morning. I know, I know. But the push notifications, uh, it, could be, uh, it could be you found something on YouTube that you want to watch. You're supposed to be answering an email at work, but then all of a sudden you're, you're, just, you're just scrolling on Facebook. Whatever it is, we are distracted 60 times a day. In fact, we are inundated with over 5,000 messages and advertisements a day. 5,000 of them that we can see, whether through billboards, on the radio, on TV, uh, the things that interrupt our, our you know, YouTube watching. It's like, oh man, really I have to watch two ads right now? Yep, you'll get 5,000 of those in one day. We are inundated with messages. And these messages are stories. These messages are persuasion for you to buy something, to think a certain way. So make no mistake, people don't make commercials, they don't make silly and cute commercials on Super Bowl Sunday to just make you laugh. They want you to do something. That's why they're spending millions and millions of dollars so that you would do something. So we're going to have some fun today. We're going to look at what's being said to us, and we're going to see what God says to us. Now, how many of you would, this is participatory, all right, how many of you would say, uh, you're, you're influenced, especially by the media. You're influenced, right? Raise your hand, all right? We should all have our hands up because we're all influenced. We are, whether we know it or not. We are influenced. And you know, I was thinking back, and we're gonna start off this morning uh, with a classic Super Bowl commercial because it's one that influenced me. This is one commercial that influenced my entire neighborhood. Check it out. What's in the bag? Lunch. Big Mac, fries. Play you for it. You and me for my Big Mac? First one to miss watches the winner eat. No donkey. <laughs> So those of you that might have been around on this earth for a little bit, how many remember that commercial, right? 
We sure did. I sure did. I was so influenced by that commercial that the next day, oh, yeah, we got our Reebok pumps on. Some people had their Air Jordans on if they were on that side of things, the Nike Reebok divide back then. And we got our jerseys on. I had my basketball hoop in my driveway. We lowered it down to six feet so all of us could jam with our Pizza Hut little mini balls that they gave out at the time. And we had a little jam fest, and we played a game of horse where it was nothing but net. And we did some of the things, or we tried to do some of the things in that commercial. So we pull out the ladder. We'd climb the ladder. I was like, all right, nothing but net, right? I was like, okay, off the house, in the hoop, nothing but net. And I remember I got in trouble when we ended up on the roof, and oh yes, nothing but net. But I want to tell you, I didn't, I didn't make it in my high school uh, basketball team. I wasn't all that good. In fact, we lived on a hill, and it wasn't nothing but net. Usually it was the ball rolling down the hill and us chasing after it. But the thing is, is I just, going back to that question, are we influenced or how we influence, I just remembered that commercial. It's like, man, we tried to be Larry Bird or Michael Jordan in nothing but net up with crazy different moves. That's what we tried to do. And so I want to ask you that question again. I was influenced in kind of that minor way, but what are some of the major ways of which we have been influenced or being influenced with those 5,000 messages that you're going to see each and every day? The almost $300 billion that is being spent specifically for you to move from point A to point B, buying a product, thinking a different way, sharing what you have bought with other people. The world goes after the heart with their parables. To buy into these products or ideologies. And, and we are being influenced. And as we're influenced, we begin to influence other people. And we begin to think certain ways. And Paul, he was, he was really attuned to this. In fact, what he wrote to the church in Corinth uh, was a warning about how we're influenced. The church in Corinth was, was a, a particularly interesting church because they were placed in a very interesting city. Uh, the ancient city of Corinth was called, would, would literally be Sin City today. It'd probably, be, it'd probably be basically New Orleans and Las Vegas combined. It was crazy. People knew that if you went there, you're going to party hard, you're going to get drunk, you're going to see a prostitute, and their morality was out the window. In fact, uh, fornication, which that word means sexual activity with somebody that's not your spouse, fornication literally uh, was coined in this city. Basically, if you were to Corinthosomai, Corinth Ozomai, which is the Greek word where you can hear Corinth. They literally said, oh, did you just Corinth with that person? Like Corinthians became a word, a byword of just absolute decrepit morality. And so if you're under the, in this city, you were always under pressure. Always under pressure with how to live. And especially the church, which you're to live for Christ and not culture, right church? Amen. They were under pressure to be different. And when you read the first pages of the book of 1 Corinthians, the letter that Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, it's straight up R-rated. Because the church was not being different. The church was being influenced by the messaging and the messages they heard each and every day. So Paul warns the church in 1 Corinthians 15.33. I'll put that on the screen for you. 1 Corinthians 15.33. Uh, he says this. Do not be misled. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good morals. Verse 34, come to your senses and stop sinning. For some people are ignorant about God. And I say this to your shame. He's talking to the church. Don't be deceived. 
Bad company corrupts good morals. And now people are ignorant of God. And I say this to your shame. He's saying, you should know who God is. Uh, you, you've been around people that have been teaching God's word. But letters of the, of, the, of the Bible were already circulating amongst this church. People had the Holy Spirit dynamically involved in this church. You read through the pages of, of the church of Corinth. They weren't lacking in any spiritual gift. The Holy Spirit was amongst them. And yet some people were ignorant of God because they were being led by the messaging of the day in their city. Paul warned the church, bad company, that's people you associate with, but it could also be messaging that we take in. That bad company, that, that bad messaging, that, that bad influences, it really does corrupt your good character. So whether it's formal teaching or a message that's being heard on a podcast today, a friend group, or even an advertisement during the Super Bowl, believing and living based on a bad messaging will corrupt and prevent you from being who Christ wants you to be. And if you're not a Christ follower today, if you're stuck on bad messaging, it could prevent you from even receiving Christ in your life. If you want to live the life that Christ has for you, we got to stick on his messaging. We have to be aware of what is influencing us. And you've got to answer that question faithfully. You've got to answer this question honestly. What is influencing me today? You are being influenced I don't know who said this first. Um, I've, I've tried to look who said this quote, and it says unknown, but I heard a pastor, Craig Rochelle, say it, so I'm going to attribute it to him, even though he didn't make it up. He said, he said this, you show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. You show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. You know, growing up in, in, the, in the church, I remember I grew up in a youth group, and there was this one kid, they had it all together, you know, they, they put it out there, they had it all together. By the way, church, we don't have it all together. It's okay not to be okay. God's, God receives us as we are, he takes us where he's going, right? We're not perfect, we don't need to act like we have it perfect today. If this is your first time in church, you're like, man, I just need to put it, put it all together. No, you don't. It's okay, bring the mess in here. It's, it's, it's all right. But there's this one particular person, they're, you know, they're kind of the family that everybody kind of looked to, and, you know, they... they um, they knew all the, all the Bible stories and, and the family kind of like, you know, was the parent examples. And you, you know what I mean? The, the families that like, we are the parent experts. Like, man, that's not just make you want to puke, right? So, <laughs> like, seriously, it's like, man, what, what in the world? Like, there, it, we should be good parents, but a, a red flag is, is when you think that you wrote the book on good parenting, all right? We all know we're hanging on the seat of our pants, right? We're, we're, all, hanging, we're all hanging on the edge here when we're parenting because we're praying that we do lead our kids the right way, but we know there's no silver bullet. And so if you're a parent here today and you've done all what you can, you're like, man, I've been trying to raise my kids and they're not following Jesus, I want you to know you can do the best thing you can do, and that is pray. And that is pray hard. You don't need to live under the condemnation of I coulda, woulda, shoulda, just start praying. But there was this one individual in, in the youth group, and they just had it all together. And this is what they said. I remember this. And they were really influential. And they said, I don't believe in peer pressure. And I thought, really? I don't believe in it. They talk about peer pressure at school. I don't believe in peer pressure. And I was like, man, they're kind of like the example of youth group. Okay, whatever. Within one year, we were at a retreat. This person that didn't believe in peer pressure said, man, I started hanging out with the wrong friends. I started going to the parties. I started drinking. I started getting drunk. I started getting high. I started sleeping around. I need to get right with God. And I remember they said, I didn't believe in peer pressure. And I think the reason why I bring that up today is not to be like, ha ha, they're wrong. No, it is a cautionary tale for each and every one of us. We are being influenced. What are you consuming? What are you taking into your heart? And don't think for a second, oh, it's not affecting me. It is. It really, really is. 
You show me your friends, I'll show you your future. We can put it a different way. You show me what you're streaming. You show me what you're consuming. You show me what you're listening to. You show, you show me what you're interested in. You show me what you're dating. You show me what you're relating to. You show me how you spend what you have and I can show you your future. We think that if we travel down a road and the bridge is out, that somehow our car will magically go over where the bridge is not. If the bridge is out and we drive on that road, we're all falling into a pit. And today, the marketing of unhealthy products, including unhealthy food or alcohol, tobacco, I mean, it doesn't, you just cross that border in Illinois and you're in a day with 15 billboards of marijuana. Like this imaging is trying to normalize what wants our hearts, what wants our souls. We live in a, we live in a day where advertising is no longer being found by us, it's finding you. And it's being articulated in a way through research and through analytics where not only it's showing you advertisements just for you, but it's actually trying to show advertisements that's trying to persuade you because it thinks, the analytics think, they know what you ought to be in one year's time. Isn't that scary? But that's where the billions of dollars are going today. And I, I mean, I think you can relate. Have you ever been scrolling on Facebook or Instagram like, how did it know I was talking about that, right? Well, guess what? We've kind of bugged our own homes. Check this out. Hey, Dave. Check this out. Alexa? It's game day. Streaming football on Prime Video. Closing blinds. Chilling rosé. Wow. It's like she can read your mind. I'm thinking, I shouldn't get a spray tan, you know? Because that's on Wednesday. Activating blender. Funerals on Monday. You see that treasure all along? It was here. Love the eye patch. It's when does the show open? March 8th. Setting reminder to fake your own death on March 8th. Not uh. This seafood is amazing. Announcement. You can thank Colin. He left the oysters in the car for five hours. It's probably better Alexa can't read your mind. How many of you can relate to that? Your Alexa. Uh, is listening to you, but here's the deal. My kids, uh, and here's the deal. We're like, why? And if you if you told anybody that you're gonna bug your home with something that's listening to you, and you'd be like, why in the world would you do that? Even ten years ago, you'd be like, why would you do that? Well, guess what? We all do that, and I'm not shaming on you because I'm shaming on me. We, I think we have like four of them. So anyway, we do it to ourselves, right? And I find my kids, they, they are always asking Alexa questions. So not only is it listening in so it can give you advertisements, but also it wants, hello, Alexa, I'm not talking to you yet, all right? So uh, Alexa wants to uh, basically answer all your questions. So let's see what Alexa has to say about God, all right? Alexa, do you believe in heaven? People have their own views on religion. All right, so she dodged the question. Try again. Alexa, do you believe in hell? People have their own views on religion. Let's try this one more time. Alexa, where is hell? Hell is located in the United States. Be careful what your kids are asking on Alexa, all right? But we do this to ourselves, right? We do this to ourselves. We, 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 we scroll and we, and we 
don't watch what we are actually consuming. And what happens is we let our guard down and we're being influenced where people are billions and billions of dollars putting in algorithms to not only sell you something right now, but influence you to buy something you don't even know what you want. We're being inundated with messaging every day. And yet, we're to be like Jesus. And yet, we're to be different. Matthew 5, verse 13, Jesus said this, You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how could it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. What Jesus is saying, you are to be different. What he's saying is you are to be on guard. Not only are you to be on guard and be, you're not to be in this defensive position. You are to be a lighthouse. Think of that lighthouse here in Kenosha. We know what lighthouses are, right? I grew up in Iowa. We drive hours to go see a lighthouse. Now we can just go say, oh, there it is. We have a lighthouse, right? But lighthouses are important, right? When life is foggy on the lake and, and boats don't know where they're going, they begin, to, they begin to honk their horns so they make sure that around the, the other boats won't run in. But they're looking for the lighthouse, the light to know where is the shore so we don't crash into shore where is the shore where if we need to go harbor into the shore it is literally a directionary light it is sometimes between life and death depending on the conditions and what Jesus is saying here is this you have a message that you aren't just to protect yourself with you have a message that you're to proclaim to the world a message that brings hope a message that brings peace a message that brings healing a message that brings salvation and he also likens it to salt. And, and, you know, a lot of times people are like, salt? I'm trying to get off salt. My doctor told me not to be salty, right? Or, or, you know, or maybe sometimes you're a salty personality and I'm just trying to tone it down. No, that, listen, here's what he means. Salt was a very expensive commodity in Jesus' day. Salt was used to preserve, specifically preserve food. You didn't have refrigerators, you didn't have ice cubes, you didn't have any of that, right? And so salt was used to dry out and preserve food, sometimes, again, Life or death. Here's what happens. When you have the message of Jesus Christ, it preserves that message that brings life and nourishment and salvation to those that hear. And so we aren't to lose our saltiness. We aren't to lose our influence that God has given you. Because you have been given a message if you're a follower of Christ. You have been given a message not to just share and tuck inside here and in your heart and just to never talk about it again. Uh, you've been given a message that you're entrusted with. Uh, that you are to be the hope and, and, and light uh, to society. Where so much messaging has been given us today that if we don't buy this thing, have this thing, we won't be anything. And God is saying, wherever you're at, wherever your background is, wherever you find yourself in right now, you can receive life. Oh man, isn't that light on a foggy day? Life, and that is the message that we are entrusted with as a church. And again, if you're just checking things out today, I want you to know this message can be yours today. This gospel can be yours, where you can actually receive forgiveness of the Lord God Almighty. You can actually have a personal relationship with him. It doesn't mean that you have to go through classes. It doesn't mean that you have to be good enough. It means that you re he receives you right now, no matter where you're at. It's the beautiful news. The messaging of Jesus is to go deep in our hearts, but we're not to hide it, we're to share it. We are to be an influence. So who's influencing you, and who are you influencing? Three things to consider. As we go into this Super Bowl Sunday, three things to consider. And when we talk about what is influencing you. Number one, what you do today influences who you are tomorrow. What you do today influences who you are tomorrow. 
Check out this next commercial. Oh, nice. Max, Mr. Grade's coming back this week. Oh, yeah? yeah. Didn't he get eaten by that lion? Not all of them. He'll still play. Maximus the Great is dead. <sighs> this is officially the worst tailgate I've ever been to. Barbarians. Hate it when they come to town. Well, tough. We drove for three months with our kids in an ox cart just to watch you get destroyed. Yeah, we made great time. Heard Mott knock it off. We came to see Maximus get fed to the wolves live in person. You guys have wolves? Oh, we got a lot of animals this year. We got a lion, uh, we have a viper. Ooh, and the panda. Oh, he's so cute, uh, but hungry. Doesn't matter. We're gonna kick your... I'm sorry. What are you doing? Adding avocados from Mexico. They're always good. Want some? Mm. Let's kick this party up a notch. Here we go. You know, they also taste great on salads. Yeah, Caesar, we get it. Like I love salads. Yeah. If that's what I'm known for, I'll be happy. Avocados from Mexico. All right, so here we have, we have the Colosseum, and you have two opposing forces in the Colosseum. Colosseum is a real deal. How many of you have been to the Colosseum in Rome, right? I've been to a few Colosseums in the Roman Empire. Well, what was the Roman Empire? And really bad things happened at these Colosseums. Like, literally... And at some points in history, Christians were fed to the lions, all right? And people would watch as if, as if it was a sport. So you see in the context of this commercial, they thought they had a great team, but then their guys had already been dead before they even went to the, went to the duel. So uh, it was a bad day for them, bad tailgating moment. And it reminds me of a lot of our tailgating moments or a lot of our moments in sports. Uh, in particular, people are rooting for their teams. Their team actually makes it. They celebrate. It's the greatest day of the year if their team makes it. I remember when the Cubs won. We thought that would never happen. It was amazing. The whole city of Chicago was singing. It was great, right? And then it kind of, you know, faded. But then it picked up again when there was the parade. And everybody's like, yeah, Cubs, right? Well, we haven't done that since, Right. And so it repeats itself every year. Every win, everything that we stake our whole worth in, it begins to fade. It begins to fade. And so what we see in this commercial is that the, uh, the answer to life when things are just bad is, well, have some avocados, right? Not quite. Not quite. But everything that we have, every gift, every season, every moment, it is a vapor. James chapter 4, verse 13 says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on our business and make money, while you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, as such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So what they're saying is this, what James is saying is this. He's saying to us, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we often make our own plans, that we often put our value in, in, in a number of things. And it's because we're answering whatever has influenced us, and we're like, yep, that's valuable. I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to start buying that. I'm going to start taking part in that. I'm going to start cheering for that team. And we begin to stake our whole life and make plans for our whole life when we realize that we aren't guaranteed another day. We're not. We're not guaranteed another day in this life. That's kind of a scary thing. That's why many of us buy life insurance, right? It's like one of those things, life insurance, fire insurance, you know, car insurance. It's those things like, man, I hope I never have to use these things, right? And so it's kind of a weird thing when you're buying it and you're sitting down and, and working through it. But we realize we aren't guaranteed anything. 
We aren't guaranteed anything, although oftentimes in life, we walk through life like we know everything that is going to happen. But what we see here, specifically from Scripture, we are a mist. Uh, we, we vanish. Instead, we ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And that is the key thing. That no matter what we're being influenced by, we want to make sure that we are standing in the center of God's will of what he wants for our life that is clearly laid out uh, in Scripture. And so what you will do today will indeed influence your tomorrow. And so when you are finding yourself in a tomorrow that is a nightmare, a tomorrow that seems off kilter, you have to ask yourself, what are the small steps that got me here? Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, man, how did I become drunk? How did I become divorced? How did this friendship fizzle? Man, how did I end up in this city? Nobody wakes up and is like, how'd this happen? It's always small steps. It's always small decision points. So how often we take for granted what God is doing in our life because we're so enamored by our own plans or we're so enamored by being influenced by whatever's going on in life. And so what can happen very easily is that when we become enamored sports or, dep- or, or, or depression or the thrill of something new or the possessions that we have, that, become, that can become the totality of our life. How easy it is to be distracted from the will of God in your life. And it seems like, I want you to think about the thing that you would just absolutely love. It seems like if you had a, a, a certain experience, you had a certain thing, or if something just happened in your life, then life would be great. Life would just be complete if this one thing could happen. And that's a lie. You see, whatever you're, you're doing today will influence your tomorrow. And whatever you're doing today, you've been influenced to do whatever you're doing today, right? And so we need to make sure what we are doing, how we're walking, it matters. That we end up somewhere where God wants us to be. If you're not a follower of Christ, today that first step is to place your faith and trust in Jesus. But if you're a follower of Christ, how are you to become somebody who is fully devoted to the things of God? What are the areas of your life that you keep on refusing to be fully devoted in? And often it's the areas that we're refusing to be fully devoted in. It's because we don't want to give it up because, man, if, we, if I had this, maybe I, indeed I'd be so happy. But it's a lie. I have a friend. His name is uh, Miles McPherson. Uh, he's a former NFL player, and he's now a pastor. And we, uh, we have a, a story that's been captured where he explains how he had it all, and it still wasn't all. Check this out. Grew up in Long Island, New York. My mother was a nurse, father was a cop. We weren't rich, weren't poor, uh, but we had a whole bunch of fun. I didn't go to a Division I school. I was not recruited by a Division I school, so I ended up at a Division III school, which was like a glorified high school, and thus didn't think I was good enough. My freshman year, we were uh, six and three, first winning season. My second year, we were undefeated. Third year, I was the first All-American, and then my fourth year, I got drafted. I didn't know God, but I just knew in my heart I was going to play in the NFL and that my life was going to mean something. I kept telling my coaches that. I had a coach mocking me behind my back, telling other players I'll never make it. I was too small, too slow, too short. But that just motivated me to keep working. My senior year, my coach made a flyer and put my picture on it, my stats, and he sent it to every NFL team every week. And not one team came to see me play. But after the season, we got calls from about five teams, and they came and watched film. And the Los Angeles Rams says, uh, you know, we're going to draft you if, we, if in the late rounds you're available. And we have everything we want, we're going to draft you. I said, don't, don't mess with me. 
When I got to the NFL, I walked into a hotel room with some guys on the team. I was a rookie, and it was one of those peer pressure things, you know, fitting in, and it was about six guys in the hotel room. I didn't know what we were going in there for, and they just pulled out cocaine. I was like, oh, man. I saw everybody else doing it, and I said, well, this can't be that bad. I knew it was wrong, and I knew it was dangerous, but, you know, I lived on the edge. One day, my buddy took me to a crack house, and I said, I want to go watch the guy make crack. So I went into this bathroom, and I sat in this little tiny bathroom, and there was this guy in there with a white tank top, shriveled up, skinny. You know, he was like a skeleton. And I remember looking, in the, looking at him going, man, look at that pitiful guy. You know, this, this drugs is killing him. And then I looked in the mirror, and God said, what about you? He was in your seat not that long ago. And my buddy opened up the door, and you know, they, he gave the crack to the drug dealer and my buddy, and my buddy stood this far away from me and smoked crack. And I remember his eyes just kind of rolling back into his head, and I thought he was gonna die right in front of me. And he asked me, did I want some? And, and I said, nah. He said, you're strong. I said, no, I'm scared. <laughs> I'm not strong, I'm scared. <laughs> You know, that was one of the wake-up calls for me because I went into the other room by myself in this dark room and did cocaine by myself, and it's like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm, I'm in the NFL, I'm living my dream, and I'm destroying it. And I would look myself in the mirror and audibly say, don't put the powder in your nose. I would say those words to myself in the mirror, and then I would put the powder in my nose. And to think that I couldn't stop, you know, how far is this going to take me and, what, you know, what is going to happen to me? I got to a point where I realized that I was throwing away the best opportunity I had. And I just woke up and said, I can't do this anymore. And I just kept saying, God, one more day. One more day, I want to party one more day. There's going to be that party, there's going to be that experience that's going to make me fulfilled and, and make me happy. And, and every day I was like, I just got to hold out for that. And it never came. And there were some guys on my team who shared the gospel with me. So April 12th, 1984, five o'clock in the morning, I had been up all night and I said, I'm done. I'm, I'm gonna give God the commitment I've given football, the commitment I've given drugs, the commitment I've given fun. I'm gonna give God that commitment. And I said, I'm, not, I'm gonna give my life to you today. I had to come to a point where I had to make a decision that I was gonna be committed to doing the right thing and following Jesus. And I did. Over time of going through ups and downs of life, you come to learn that he is reliable. He's 100% trustworthy. So I got to know Miles through different stages that we shared where we, when I, we were speaking, and also one of his mentors is one of my mentors, and uh, God has really used Miles in a number of ways today, but it really, he came to a, a, a real dividing line here, that he was, he had everything he wanted, football, everything, the, the fame, uh, the money, and he found himself in a crack house because football didn't satisfy so he was looking for other things to satisfy. And I think that's something we really need to understand is whatever we're being influenced to, whatever is doing the influencing, it's selling us that if we have this thing, it will satisfy, but it won't unless it is for what your heart, your soul has been made for.
your soul has been made to know Almighty God, to know him in a personal way and to live for him in a personal, powerful, miraculous way every day. What is influencing you? What you are being influenced today will affect your tomorrow. So whatever you're being influenced to, you're buying into right now. And this leads us to our second point. Whatever you own today won't matter in eternity. You see, you're being influenced today and it's going to lead you somewhere tomorrow. But whatever you're being influenced into, you're buying into that. But whatever that you've bought, whatever that you possess, I want you to know that you can't take that into eternity. It is finite. It's just stuff. Stuff. We love stuff. And there's some really great stuff out there. But I doubt that any of us will look back on our lives and think, I wish I'd gotten a slightly sportier SUV, bought an even thinner TV, or found a trendier scent. I wish I'd discovered a crunchier chip, found a lighter light beer, or had an even smarter smartphone. Do you think any of us will look back in our lives and regret the things we didn't buy? Or the places we didn't go? All right, so E. McGregor, also known as Obi-Wan Kenobi, stars in that commercial, and he brings out something I believe that society is really feeling. The reason why they're spending millions of dollars on this ad on Super Bowl Sunday, it's saying, hey, we don't want to sell you anything. We're tired of buying things. It's not going to bring you happiness because during the pandemic, guess what people did? We saw them all all throughout our streets dropping boxes upon boxes of boxes of stuff that we bought because we thought that maybe, just maybe, if I buy this one thing on the lightning deal, it's going to make me really, really happy. You see, I've said this from week in and week out, and I'm going to say it again, that I believe that we're living in a particular point in history. No, I'm not talking about the pandemic, but I'm talking about maybe the results and effects of the pandemic is that people are asking questions about life. People are are longing for understanding the meaning of life. There has to be something greater out there. There has to be something greater than the stuff that I buy. And people are asking spiritual questions, and they're going to find an answer whether it's right or not. In fact, people are so hungry. I've never seen this in my entire life. People are asking spiritual questions. They don't know God. They've never gone to church. But they're asking God, I want to know you if you're real. Uh, what's, What's it like going to church? And guess what? Here's the deal. As people in society today, I believe, are more hungry spiritually more than ever, my fear is the churches in America and the Western world are asleep at the wheel. They're not hungry to share. Right? Could it be if there's a graph that the rate of hunger for people with spiritual answers has eclipsed the rate of hunger for the church to share and give the answer of Jesus Christ? 
May it never be so here at Kenosha City Church. I believe it not so here at Kenosha City Church, but I pray because the tide is against the church in the sense that we want to be complacent. We want to turn inward. We want to be safe. We want our experience to feel a certain way. But I want to tell you, whether we have freedoms and let freedom ring, I'm for freedom, right? I'm for freedom, an expression of the church to express itself in the country, amen? But whether we have that freedom or we don't have that freedom, I want you to know the gospel of Jesus Christ, the mission of Jesus Christ will go further and further when the people stand up and said, yes, Lord, send me. Yes, Lord, I will bring the hope. I will be the lighthouse. I will be the salt and light to the earth. Right? We must eclipse. We must be able to be there for the people that have the answers because I'll tell you who's given them the answers if we're unwilling to give them the answers. It's people that have an unbiblical Jesus. Oh yeah. Right now people want to make a Jesus that doesn't exist. They want to kind of make a Jesus and mold them into this like kind of hippie guru that looks like John Lennon maybe a little bit, right? <laughs> I am you. No, no, not at all. Like that's what people want. This false Jesus, or they find some kind of, the Mormons are knocking on doors. Mormonism's growing, it's going to exploding right now. It's a cult. Sorry, I'm just going to say the way it is. They take scripture, and they take the grace of Jesus Christ, and they redefine it, make it about works. They make it about that you have to accept another prophet to get saved, and they say that you'll inherit celestial planets. That's not Christianity. And yet they're knocking on doors and people are becoming Mormons. Why? Because people have questions spiritually. And they're getting answers. And they're not the right answers. Church. Kenosha. City church. I know we have the hunger to reach this city. But I don't want us to fall in the complacency and be complicit to, the, to not giving the answers that Jesus wants us to give. Let's be. Let's be the hands and feet of Jesus. Church, amen to that? Let's be the hands and feet. Let's have our eyes wide open when we see our neighbors and when we see our coworkers, when we see our baristas. People think it's funny. I always say the baristas. Well, I see them a lot, all right? And so wherever and whoever we see, salt and light of the earth to bring the hope that's not from you, but has been given to you by Jesus Christ if you're a follower of Christ. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. People are hungry. May it never be that Kenosha City Church gets comfortable. May it never be that we become a club. May it never be that we think, oh man, we got it. We got it here, right? Just about what I get. No, we are not just consumers. We're contributors into the things of Jesus Christ. And that's why I love this core value here at Kenosha City Church is that life is too short. And the stakes are too high to know what we know and do nothing. We must do something. I, can't, I won't tell you what the results will be. The results aren't up to you. The results is to love, to be relentless, to be relational, to love people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with words, out loud with words. Someone says, oh, you know, you know maybe you know, use words if necessary. We don't even know who said that phrase, and it's not in the Bible. Listen, the Bible says words are necessary. And back up your words with action, Right? We must be the hands and feet. And if you roll your eyes to that, you're not living in biblical Christianity. You're not. Now, the commercial by Expedia is interesting. He walks around, and I remember seeing this like, yeah, you're right. I'm not going to be satisfied by that product. You're right. I'm not going to be satisfied by a bigger phone. I'll probably buy a bigger phone, but, but you're right. 
And then he opens the door and it looks like heaven. But it's a beach. And they're speaking into where the whole world hasn't been able to go. In the last two years, we haven't been able to travel. And they're saying, you don't need stuff. You need experiences, location-based experiences. And this will satisfy. Well, I don't think it will satisfy. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 says this. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let's talk about the things that we're agreeing with Expedia here, uh, the physical possess- your, your physical possessions. Elias, love, Elias and Graham, my two sons, they love rocks, like rock collections, like polishing rocks. So for Christmas, they got this little barrel where you take these ugly rocks, put them in there, put some polish in there, and they roll around for a while, and they get polished. I didn't know it was going to take a month. So like the first night the polisher was on at night, I was laying in bed, and I was hearing this. It's like, what in the world is going on in my basement? And so like, it's like three in the morning, I'm like, what is going on? I thought like a pipe had broke down. My, I thought maybe my sump pump was just running like crazy. And I see this little barrel spinning. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So I hit the off. I go back into bed. And that next morning, Alice is like, Andy, why'd you shut that off? Are you kidding? That thing was supposed to be on in the middle of the night? Yeah, it's going to be on for the next month. <laughs> All right. So it was on for the next month. Last week was the last day it was on. I was like, hallelujah. My kids were all excited. They took that barrel. They're all smiles. They're like, these things are going to be so polished. They think they're like worth something. They open it up, and Eliza smiled. goes like this. Aw. This, this is not as polished as the box. He was let down. And you know what? Isn't it like that people are on it? It's like, listen, listen, with this, you can awe us. When we go to McDonald's, we order the Big Mac, and we're like, hey, it doesn't look like the picture, right? Or when you get your car and it's glistening, and then a year later, it's like, it's starting to rust, right? Or you buy this home, and you think that it's big, and then you start having some kids, and you're like, man, this house isn't big anymore. It's too small. Like, things just don't hold up to what they're being advertised to, right? The PlayStation 4 needs to become the 5, Right? You see, it's not that owning possessions is wrong. It's when possessions begin to possess you. The key is don't store up treasures for yourself as an end to yourself. Jesus is not telling that you have to take a vow of poverty. Uh, For a person in poverty or a person in plenty can still love possessions and love money. They can love the idea of having something or they can covet something, wishing that they had that something. Or they can take value in what they have. We cannot buy our happiness with stuff. And how often we do that. But again, Expedia's conclusion is, then go have an experience. You know, I've been through missions. I've been around the world. And it's pretty cool, you know, seeing mountains. And, you know, I've been inside the pyramids and saw the Sphinx. By the way, did you know on what you never see is there's a KFC pizza next to the Sphinx. But anyway, um, I remember one of my grandpa's, uh, one of my friend's grandpa died. And I went to his house to just, you know, he's one of my best friends. His name was Craig. And uh, I was like, hey, uh, I'll come and hang out with you. And, and so we, they were cleaning out his grandpa's house. And I remember seeing in the trash can a pile of pictures. What was interesting about these pictures, they were pictures of scenery. Nobody was in them, but there was his grandpa's travel pictures. And saw there was a bunch of mountains. Uh, there was a bunch of lakes. 
Uh, there was a bunch of European buildings. There's just a bunch of all these beautiful things, and yet they're in the trash can. I said, Craig, why are you guys throwing these away? He's like, well, we didn't go on these trips. They're not our memories. We're just, we don't need to keep them. That stuck with me. Because yet sometimes we stake, okay, I'm not going to buy something, so I want to experience something. But I want you to know an experience is an experience. An experience wears off. An experience becomes a memory that becomes fading. And when you are experienced and you have it all, you're like, well, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep on repeating the experience so I can feel the experience. But what happens is it's just another waterfall. It's just another mountain range. It's just another beach. It's just another lake. It's just another roller coaster. It doesn't satisfy and so what Expedia is saying to you is this, is that if only you have that thing, if you only have that experience, if you only have that person, if you only feel that feeling, then you made it. And they're wrong. It's not that you made it. It's called you've entered the rat race. We are not saved into a rat race. We are saved, and when you receive Jesus Christ as Savior, he says, come to me, and I will make your burden light. But the rat race in life, as captured by John Piper in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, it goes like this. We grow up, we go to school, we go to school to get our best grades, which you should, but you're hoping that you can get the scholarship. You get involved with all kinds of extracurriculars, so maybe you can get the scholarship there. And so you're at school maybe five days, six days, seven days a week. You study, you work hard, you do this for 12 years, you graduate, you get into the college, you go to the college, you go to class Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you get the weekend, but you have to study a little bit, maybe you work a little bit, maybe you have a little bit of fun, and then you, you read. Repeat that again the next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You do this for four years, and at the end of four years, like, hmm, I want to get a really good job. So you go and get your master's, and you do the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Do a little bit of study. Do a lot of work. Maybe get married. Maybe have kids and that. I don't know. But what you do is you repeat that for three years. After the three years, maybe you start a family. Maybe you have a kids. I don't know. But what you do is then you go to work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Maybe you get three weeks, four weeks, five weeks of vacation. I don't know. But you do that for the next 30 years so you can retire, move somewhere, move maybe in a condo, share it with three. 3,000 people, go to the beach maybe once or twice a day, collect sea glass, look at the seagulls, look at the ocean, look at the waves, and then you die. That is the rat race of life, and you were not made for that. You were made for eternity. Life is made more than the rat race, yes? God made you to have a relationship with him and we will all meet him you are being influenced today to spend your life a certain way and wherever you're at today it's going to influence where you go tomorrow and whatever you've been influenced right now you're buying into and i want you to know whatever you possess or you experience or you cherish you can't take it with you because your souls as we were learning in our last series are forever they were created at your conception and they will live on forever whether it be heaven or whether it be an eternity away from god in a place the bible calls hell and no it's not in the united states as alexa said so it leads us down to our third point that's we can't escape the reality god has created you to engage you can't escape the reality God has created you to engage. Check this out. Space, the boundary of human achievement, the new frontier. It's not time to escape. It's time to engage. It's time to plant more trees. Time to build more trust. Time to make more space for all of us. 
So while the others look to the metaverse and Mars, let's stay here and restore ours. Yeah, it's time to blaze our trail. Because the new frontier, it ain't rocket science. It's right here. It's not rocket science. It's right here, right? It's right here. That's where we're supposed to engage. Now, again, it's Salesforce, so they want you to build a business and build it, you know, in a city that hasn't been built yet in the desert, right? There's a lot of places to discover. That's what they're saying. But what I want to say is this. I think what's true here and what really caught me in this uh, commercial is that we are living in an age where we want to escape where we're at right now. And we'll do it to where we'll create a whole new universe. We'll do it to where we, where we don't want to even engage the planet that we're living in. And I want you to know this. We aren't created to escape. We're created to engage. We're created to engage in every single area of your life. For some of you, that means that you're going to engage more with your family. You're going to engage more in your neighborhood. Some of you are going to engage in the school board. Some of you are going to engage in your government. Some of you are going to engage with the local club. Some of you are going to engage in your workplace with what? The kingdom of God. Jesus Christ. It is not time to escape but to engage. And the new frontier has been the same one we've had when Jesus Christ said, go and make disciples. Go and do this because, behold, he is coming. He's coming soon. And next week, I can't wait to open up Revelation because we're going to talk about his second coming. We're going to go deep into it. We're going to spend many, many weeks into it. But church, we need to engage. You're being influenced. We're all being influenced. Whatever you do today, it's going to influence you tomorrow. Whatever you're being influenced into, you're buying into. But whatever you buy into, if it's not the things of Jesus Christ, you can't take earthly possessions with you. And so, therefore, we need to engage. We need to not escape the reality God has created you to engage this creation. So, here's how we're to engage. Number one, if you don't know Christ as Savior, he wants to receive you as his today. He wants to forgive you of your sins. John 3, 16 through 17 says this, for God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. John chapter one, verse 12, it says, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God. To those believing in his name, we were born not of natural descent or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. What, what Jesus is saying is this, if you've come into this building today and you have never personally asked Jesus Christ to be your savior, if you've never personally asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, today that can be yours. Today you can be forgiven by the Lord God Almighty. He created you to have a relationship with him. He created you to know him. He created you uh, to, to know that you're not a mistake, you're not an accident, and he's created you to be redeemed. Your responsibility is you got to receive what he did for you. And this is what he did for you. He created you, but you sinned. You've done wrong. We've all sinned. We've all done wrong. And we are separated by the Lord God Almighty because of our sin. But Jesus Christ came to this earth. He was fully human, fully God. He came to this earth because he loved us, because he was merciful, because he wanted us to be forgiven. He came to this earth to live, to die. He died on the cross 
He paid all for all of your sins on the cross in that one moment. He saw every wrong you've ever committed, and he forgave it in that moment. And because he's God, yes, he died on the cross, but he rose from the dead because death couldn't keep him. Because he was a sinless, spotless sacrifice, death is the result of sin. He who knew no sin took on your sin. He paid for your sin on the cross, and he rose from the dead so that anyone and everyone who receives what Jesus Christ did for them is saved. you got to receive it. How do you receive it? You say, Lord Jesus, I need that. Lord Jesus, I want to receive see forgiveness in you today. Lord Jesus, I'm placing my faith and trust in you today. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. Lord Jesus, I believe that you rose from the dead. Lord Jesus, I know it's nothing that I can do. It's not about works. It's about his grace. For grace that you're saved through faith, not by works so that nobody can boast. Will you do that today? We say, Jesus, I need you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray if there's anybody in this room right now that has never personally said yes to you, that has never personally asked for their sins to be forgiven, that has never asked, has never placed their faith and trust in you and what you did on the cross, that today they'd say, Lord Jesus, save me. Lord Jesus, forgive me. I place my faith and trust in you alone. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead. If that's you, if today you're saying yes to Jesus, today you want to receive his forgiveness, with every head's bowed and eyes closed, just slip up your hand up high and say, yep, I want the Lord Jesus in my life. I want to place my faith and trust. Awesome, I see you. Anybody else? Raise that hand up high right now. If you're like, I want it, I see you. Awesome. Anybody else? I see you back there. Awesome. Anybody else? Just keep on raising those hands up high and say, I want to receive. Thank you. Uh, anybody else? Anybody else? Awesome. Anybody else? Yep, I see you. Awesome, I see you back there as well. Great, it's not that raising your hand uh, saves you. You're indicating what God is doing in your heart right now. Anybody else? Anybody else like I'm making this moment right now where I'm placing my faith and trust in Jesus. Anybody else? Anybody else? Lord Jesus, we thank you what you're doing in this room. We thank you that people are saying yes to you and they're placing their faith and trust in you alone and that they're receiving you uh, to, uh, as, their, as their savior, as their, as their leader, as their Lord. And so Father, we just pray um, that right now, um, they would begin walking with you in, in a way that uh, they can grow in you. As we continue to pray, I want to pray for our whole church right now. Again, you have been created to be the salt and light of the earth. There are messagings that are all over in your life. There's messagings that are telling you who you are, what you should think, what you should do. And I want you to know that the Lord wants to speak specifically to you. And that's why you need to be sensitive to the Spirit. You need to be sensitive to His Word, but you also need to be sensitive to His Spirit. So maybe you're neglecting the Holy Spirit. So maybe you're neglecting living in the fullness or being filled in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit wants to meet with you right now so that your heart can, can sense what God is doing in the everyday. That your heart can be so sensitive to, to the things of God and when, when God is leading. And, and even bring you remembrance of God's Word and bring power to that. I just want to say this today too. And this might be for somebody uh, where you've just been hearing this message in your head. You might be hearing that you're not good enough. You feel like you're going through the motion. You feel like, like you're, you're, you're on your own. Uh, and I just want you to know that today, if that's what's going through your head, I want you to know you're not alone. I want you to know that God has you, that God wants to walk with you, that God wants to lead you. He wants you to cast your burdens on him because he cares for you. If that's you today, if that word is for you today, I want you to receive it as God speaking to you, caring for you, showing mercy to you. He sees you. He sees you. 
I also want to speak to our church today that maybe we never be complacent. May we never be somebody who just sits on the sidelines with kingdom work. I want you to know that God is raising up and he's calling people all over this church to be the salt and light, the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in this city. There are people right now that are searching, that are seeking uh, answers. Uh, they don't know what it is. God is drawing them already. I want you to know that God is drawing them already and he wants to use you as the person who's going to give them the hope and the answers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so right now, God is placing people on your mind and on your heart, people that right now very well may be wrestling with the very nature of the existence of God. And I want you to know right now, God wants to use you. So Father, I pray right now for everybody in this room, the names that went on their minds, the names that, 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 are, that are crossing their hearts, that God, right now, you would give them influence, your Holy Spirit influence in the right timing, in the right kindness, in the right love, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to share their life, to share the seat that's next to them here at church. God, we pray that we see this city continually transformed, this region continually transformed in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.